0: Our scripture this morning comes out of Psalm 77. <laughs> I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, in my, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the most high stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhe. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord.
1: right. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Trinity Community Church. It's great to see you. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here, Uh, although you may not know it because I didn't preach the last two weeks, so maybe you've just forgotten. Even the founding members are like, I don't know, he looks familiar. But um, I am actually in this uh, 10-week series on praying the Psalms. I'm only preaching four of the sermons, uh, which is uh, sort of a, a gift to me from our elder team. They wanted to give me a little extra downtime this summer. I was was glad to do it. We got all these young guys. We might as well just work them, you know. So uh, it's great to great to be up here, great to be with you. And as we continue in this series on praying the Psalms, I want to step into one of the, the tougher, more difficult topics, and that's unanswered prayer. I think if we're going to be focusing on prayer and focusing on on the Psalms over the course of a whole summer, it would be a cruel thing not to address unanswered prayer. Now, it's, a, it's an overwhelming thing to, to step into it, to try to speak true words, to try to preach hope into the, the darkest moments of our lives, the most agonizing situations, or, or to those who are, who are suffering most deeply and who are most acquainted with grief and loss. And so if, you're, if your deepest and, and most desperate prayers have not been answered, or if life hurts so much that it feels like God has left you, or if it's been so long since you've experienced God's presence that you're wondering if he exists at all, you're asking why God seems to answer other people's prayers and not your own, or if you've slowly given up the prayer. I mean, you prayed for... For years, and then you finally just said, you know what, it's not doing anything. And now you're kind of going through life numbly as a sort of shell of yourselves. If you're not just falling apart, but you're like, I've been apart. Like I fell apart and I'm in pieces now. If you're in any of these places, you are not alone. And actually the scriptures speak to this experience. The Psalms speak to this experience. And would it be easier to avoid all of this? You know, just to sort of skim along the surface of the scriptures, or to to just focus on like the the answered prayers and the the big miracles? Like, yes, that would be that would be easier. That would be simpler. But but we also that that also wouldn't be. It wouldn't be honest. It wouldn't be honest to Christianity. It wouldn't be honest to our actual lives. And actually, we would miss out on so much of the the life and meaning and significance that the Lord has to us. Now, there's a spiritual writer in the Quaker tradition, Parker Palmer, and he writes, The deeper our faith, the more doubt we must endure. The deeper our hope, the more prone we are to despair. The deeper our love, the more pain its loss will bring. These are a few of the paradoxes we must hold as human beings if we refuse to hold them in the hope of living without doubt, despair, and pain, we also find ourselves living without faith, hope, and love. And so today we're looking at an unanswered prayer, and we're going to look at it in, in uh, three aspects. Engaging the silence, remembering the Lord, and walking in the dark. So engaging the silence, remembering the Lord, and then walking in the dark. Let me, let me pray for us uh, that the Lord would reveal things to us. Father God, you know each person in this room. You know them to the, to the very core of their beings better even than they know themselves. You created them, you sustain them. You are Father, Shepherd, Rock, and Refuge. And so, Lord, as we step into a difficult topic, would you give us your wisdom? We know you're a good and loving and faithful God, and yet you move in mysterious ways. I pray that that your word would be encouraging, that it would be honest. We know that apart from your Holy Spirit, nothing will will connect, nothing will last in our minds. And so, Spirit of God, would you reveal what's true from your word? For those who have, have long walked in unanswered prayer, may your word be a comfort. Let the smoldering wicks be fanned into flame. Let the bruised reeds be strengthened to mighty oaks. And so, Father, just build up your people. Restore us today. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, engaging the silence. Let's pick it up right at the beginning in verse one. The psalmist says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. And so this, this psalm begins with this sorrowful sorrowful expression of unanswered prayers that, that Asaph, the psalmist, has been crying out to God. He's been, been lifting untiring hands to God, that he's been groaning in, in his weakness, and he, and he continues to do so. I mean, he's, he's wrestling with the reality of life in a broken world, and he's crying out to God and not receiving an immediate answer. Now, as I said, this is a psalm of Asaph, who is one of the, the primary psalm writers in this book. From 73 to 83, these are all the psalms of Asaph. He also wrote Psalm 50. And his psalms are brutally honest. I mean, they really engage in, in life as it is. It reflects a heart that's been broken, a life that has has fallen apart. He he has experienced sorrow. He is acquainted with grief. He has engaged the silence. He's walked in the dark. And so Asaph is our guy when it comes to lament, when it comes to unanswered prayer. And so you can feel it in his heart. God, I have been crying out to you. I'm stretching out my hands to you. I'm, I'm staying faithful to you. I'm doing all the things, but I'm getting tired. My spirit is growing faint. He continues in verse 7, Will the Lord reject me forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Now, if you've been walking with God for some time, you've, you've experienced this moment, I'm sure. Asking where the Lord is, where is his unfailing love? Like you know Mentally, intellectually, that God is still there. You still believe in him. You still know him to be true. And yet you're asking God, where are you? Or as we looked at in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? How long must I suffer? How, much, how long must I be unable to hear your voice and see your face? How long must I dwell in this darkness? And the first thing to do with unanswered prayer is actually to embrace it. Not all of our prayers will be answered. Now, we struggle with this. If, if God wants us to pray to him, if he's a good and loving father, then why would he withhold good things when we ask for them? James 5 says the prayers of the righteous will be heard. So is the problem that, that we're simply not righteous enough or not good enough? Yet on the other hand, the apostle Paul, we see, prayed three times for something and the Lord says, my Grace is enough for you. And so I have prayed for many, many years that the Lord would bring healing into my life in in different ways through what John Newton called these inward trials, depression, anger, seasons of despair. And so it's okay to admit, and it's actually helpful and necessary to admit that prayer does not always work the way we want it to. Prayer itself can be an incredibly painful thing. Perhaps you've been praying for a spouse or praying for your marriage to turn around. Maybe you've been praying for a child for years, or maybe your adult child is far from the Lord. Maybe you've had a close friend turn against you, or you're just longing for a close friend. Maybe you've lost a job, or your career is falling apart, or your finances have been a wreck as long as you can remember. Maybe it's your health that you've suffered with chronic pain, or there's some some illness or cancer that keeps coming back or frequent sicknesses you don't understand and you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray but it just doesn't seem like anything's happening. Your life in a broken world is exceedingly difficult. And there's this there's this horrible lie that becoming a Christian will immediately make it better. You know like if you're watching the TV evangelists if those are even still a thing or or just the the people that wanna present the lighter side of Christianity and say, if you come to Christ, all your problems will go away. Like we, no, that's just not true. A theologian, J.I. Packer, he says, actually the opposite is true in his book, Knowing God. He says, becoming a Christian makes life more difficult. And he says, you still have all the problems of everyday life that a non-Christian would have, but now you have like the Christian problems as well. Now you have the spiritual problems. Now you have church drama. Now you have spiritual warfare. Because it's in these moments of darkness and the silence of God that the devil comes with all of his force. I mean, when you're in the dark, you're also getting beat up in that place from every direction. It is not easier to be a Christian. It is true that we have the Holy Spirit and we're not alone in these things, but it certainly is not true that our problems just go away. And so we have to engage the silence. We can't just pretend that life isn't difficult. We can't just rehearse the the trite sayings like it all works out in the end, or, you know, like if you just stop praying for a boyfriend, then you'll get one, you know? It's like, don't bring that weak stuff in the paint. Like, bring the truth. We will swat that away in this church. Like, we need to embrace reality. Asaph wrestling with God like Jacob in the mountains crying out to God, seeking God, groaning with hands stretched to heaven. We can engage the silence because God's silence is not the same as his absence. Like God's silence does not mean he is not there. God often lets our prayers go unanswered in this life and He even seems to hide his face for a season, but it does not mean he's left you. It doesn't mean it'll last forever. It doesn't mean... There's something wrong with you or he's punishing you. This is part of the Christian life. As we saw from that Parker Palmer quote, the deeper you go in the Lord, the more you experience the hiddenness of God, or maybe just the more you notice it. Perhaps if you just skim along the surface of life, you never have seasons of dryness because you don't really have seasons, but the deeper you go in the Lord, the more you will experience these things. And so we'll keep learning from Asaph in Psalm 77. The second thing is remembering the Lord. That might seem like an odd phrase, remembering the Lord. Like, what about the Lord remembering? When it comes straight from Psalm 77 in verse 3, Asaph has said, I remembered you, God, and I groaned, I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. Now Asaph, more than any of the other Psalm writers, is constantly calling people back to Israel's own history. Like he refers to the Exodus in almost every single one of his songs. It's like his go-to. But he also is aware of this great tradition in God's Word of calling people to simply remember the Lord. So in Exodus, or rather Deuteronomy 8.18, Moses' final instructions to the people, he says, remember the Lord. Nehemiah 4.14, Israel's faithful members are called to rebuild their city, and Nehemiah says, remember the Lord. The Lord, Jeremiah fifty one, the prophet's calling the people back to God as they're sent into exile. He says, "Remember the Lord." Judges eight thirty four. It says that the Israelites' spiritual and social decline it's because they did not remember the Lord. And so, Asaph remembers the Lord in all of his groaning and his meditating. He says in verse ten, "Then I thought, to this I will appeal." the years when the most high stretched out his right hand i will remember the deeds of the lord yes i will remember your miracles of long ago and one of the reasons we're doing 10 weeks on praying the psalms is so that we might all see these patterns in the psalms and have our our prayer lives more aligned with the pattern of the psalms and one of the most significant patterns is that the people in the Psalms, whether it's Asaph or David, whoever it is, they're, they're never appealing to their own goodness. They don't appeal to their own faithfulness for God to hear them. Asaph doesn't say, look, I'm, I'm Israel's worship director. David doesn't say, hey, I'm the king. Nobody says like, look how good I am. Look how faithful I've been. I've been going to the synagogue. I've been tithing. I've seen all of the Kirk Cameron films. Like, look how good I am. None of them do that because they know how weak of an appeal it is. Instead, they appeal to the faithfulness of the Most High God. The rest of the psalm is Asaph essentially reminding God of what he's done. He's remembering it himself, but but listen, he says, "'You are the God who performs miracles. "'You display your power among the peoples. "'With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, "'the descendants of Jacob and Joseph.'" At the end, he says, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So he's saying, remember that, God? Like, you remember the Exodus? You remember how you, you led us through? We never saw your footprints, but we knew it was you. You worked in wondrous ways and miraculous ways. You came through for us then. Can you do that now? We know who you are. We know what you're capable of. Will you come down and intervene in my life right now? The first step of walking in the dark is appealing to God's faithfulness. I've heard it said before that in the darkness, we call upon what we've learned in the light. I think that's so helpful, and it it calls us to remember that when, when we're not in seasons of darkness, when we're not in seasons of dryness, that is a great time to continue to pour into the Scriptures, continue to seek the face of God, so that when we do go into the darkness, we have so much more that we can draw from. Now, the Old Testament gives us the language of lament. It gives us these assurances and unanswered prayer, but we have so much more than that. In the words of Chance the Rapper, the book don't end with Malachi, in the New Testament era. For us to remember the Lord means to remember the work of Jesus. Now, Jesus' whole life, eternally and on earth, his entire existence has been one of incredible love, divine love being given and shared within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus has known nothing but perfect love for all eternity. Whenever he turned to the Father, the Spirit flooded him with love, without shadow, without blemish. But when he came to earth, and specifically when he was moving towards the cross, and he knew all that was before him, he knew that to pay the penalty for our sins meant losing the presence of the Father. And it was, it was, deeply hurtful. So in Matthew 26, 26, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Luke 22 adds, being in anguish, he, pre- he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Back to Matthew 26, he prays, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. It says he went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Verse 44, so he left them and went away and prayed once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. So this is Thursday night and Jesus is in the garden. His disciples are falling asleep, but he is bearing the full weight of God's wrath. That's what the cup represents. It's God's righteous judgment against evil. He knows this is the only way that he must endure the loss of his father's presence in death. He knew that he could walk away from the cross at any moment or he could have delayed it. He could have just slipped through the crowds like he does earlier in the Gospels. But he stays and he he wrestles. He cries out to God. He sweats blood. And he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Tim Keller's written, as horrible as the cup is, Jesus knows that his immediate desire to be spared must bow before his ultimate one to spare us. And so that was in the Garden of Gethsemane Thursday night, but it was the next morning that he was was hung up on the cross at Calvary. And he cried out in the words of David from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there was no answer. I often think of, of this Moment or of Jesus not experiencing the Father's presence here as as simply that, as a moment. As something that was fairly, fairly brief. But the more I I reflect on it, the more I see that this was this was days of an experience for Jesus. Even going down into the grave. And even just a few days of losing the Father's affection would have felt like a lifetime to Jesus. And Charles Spurgeon, in a in an evening Bible study in 1866. He said this from Psalm 22. He said, These are not so much the words of David as they are the words of David's son. Jesus prayed with strong crying and tears. He came before the Father's throne with supplications, and for a long time it seemed as if he would have no answer. It appeared as if God had utterly forsaken him. Now, why was the Savior permitted to pass through so sad an experience? How is it that he whose lightest word is prevailing with heaven? permitted to cry and cry and cry again and yet receive no answer. He continues on, Was it not mainly for this reason, that he was making an atonement for us? And he was not heard because as we sinners did not deserve to be heard, he was heard that we might be heard. The ear of God was closed against him, that it might never be closed against us. That forever the mourner's cry might find a way to the heart of God because the cry of Jesus was for a little while shut out. And this is why Jesus had to endure unanswered prayer that he might make atonement for us, that he might pay the penalty for our sins, that he might drink this cup of God's wrath to the full. And I do wonder, it's not explicit in the scriptures, but how much of this Jesus was anticipating all along. That perhaps it wasn't just a moment of agony of experiencing the loss of his father's presence, but even leading up to that, knowing that that was coming, just dreading that moment and dreading the cross. We see all throughout the Gospels him telling his disciples that we are going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will die and in three days be raised up. And yet I can't help but wondering if this was constantly on his mind, the agony of it. Maybe even when he arrived at Lazarus's tomb in John 11 and he he wept like he was weeping for his friend Lazarus, but he also knew he was going to heal him. he have also been weeping knowing that that would be his fate as well, that he would be put in the tomb. I remember back in Louisville, I was officiating a funeral for a young couple that had lost a little girl. And I was just like a wreck through the whole funeral service. And it was it was sadness for this couple, but it was also because this little girl had died from the exact thing that my sister had passed away from years and years ago and i had never i didn't mention that to them but it was like i was a wreck through this whole memorial service because there was a, a grief that others didn't didn't know about or didn't see so could it be that jesus approaches the tomb of lazarus and and weeps because he knows that that is in his future too or in luke 19 it says that he looked upon jerusalem and wept perhaps he was looking off to calvary at the distance in the distance knowing that that's where he would lose his Father's presence. And yet in all of this, Jesus kept going. He still went to Jerusalem. He still went to the cross. He stayed up all night praying because he knew it was his Father's will. He knew it was good. He knew he wasn't being permanently abandoned. And so this is the message of Asaph and certainly of Jesus, engaging the silence, remembering the Lord, and then the last thing is walking in the dark. I mean, how do, we, how do we keep going practically? How do we keep walking when all is dark around us? I want to just close with three truths and then three points of response. Truth number one is that darkness is not dark with God. I've used this illustration before, but when our kids were really young and we'd be putting them down to bed, they were afraid of the dark. I think that's a common experience. But as we would go in there and they'd be, you know, asking for us to stay with them, we wouldn't flip the lights back on, but we would simply just sit with them like on the bed or next to the bed. And within a few minutes, they would fall right asleep. Unless it was our middle son, then it would be a few hours and he would fall asleep. (laughs) But they weren't comforted because we turned on the light. So it wasn't really that they were afraid of the dark, but they were afraid of being alone in the dark. Like they love playing in the dark outside. Like at the end of the day, you tell them to come inside, it's dark out. They're not afraid of the dark then, but they're afraid of being alone in the dark. When you sit with them, suddenly they're comforted. They fall asleep. And so it is with us that the darkness feels terrible when we feel alone in it. But the reality is even the darkness is not dark to God. Psalm 139, David says, if I say surely the darkness will hide me and then light will become night around me even the darkness will not be dark to you the night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you even when you're walking in the dark that doesn't mean that it's it's dark to God you may not be able to see him but he can still see you just as clearly you may not feel his presence but he is there he knows you he's with you even if you don't see him he's holding you in the dark as if a a parent would be holding its child. And so the first application is simply to keep praying. The most difficult thing in unanswered prayer is is to keep praying. The temptation is always to to give up the fight, to pray a few times and then say, well, God knows what I want, what I need. If he wants to answer it, he'll do it. And then to to just set it aside and to, to go on moving through life without engaging that prayer. And yeah, that's not the way of the scriptures. I mean, Jesus said, be like the persistent widow who keeps going back to the judge over and over and over until she gets justice. Consider the, the prophets in the Old Testament that wouldn't eat until God would answer their prayers. Or maybe the bleeding woman who had suffered for decades but decided one more time to reach out and touch Jesus. It's so easy to lose hope, so easy to to stop asking your friends to pray for you, to be content in the dark. But our God is a God of healing. He is a God of hope. Keep praying, keep walking. Now, the second truth is that Jesus knows and feels our every pain. Again, the main reason why Jesus had to endure unanswered prayer was to ensure our salvation, but it's not the only reason. Spurgeon goes on in in his uh, teaching, he says, "'As for not being heard in prayer "'or being unanswered for a while, "'it is one of the great troubles "'which can fall upon the Christian. "'And the Savior had to pass through that trouble too, "'so that it might be said of him, "'in every pang that rends the heart, "'the man of sorrows bore his part. "'When I fear that I've not been heard in prayer, "'I can now look upon my Savior "'and say he takes me through no darker rooms "'than he went through before.'" He can now have a tender, touching sympathy with us because he has been tempted in all points as we have. So the second application is simply to focus your trust on Jesus. The, p- the Psalms give us the pattern and, and the language for prayer, but the New Testament gives us the focus. We focus everything on Christ. In the dark, I find it so helpful to to read through the Gospels, just to remain immersed in the life of Jesus and and how He interacted with those who are struggling and suffering the most. See His his tenderness and his, His love and His gentleness with those folks. Now, the third and final truth is that the Spirit groans for you also. And so three truths, one about the Father, one about the Son, one about the Spirit. The third is that the Spirit groans for you. Romans 8 says... In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And saying, even when you can't keep praying, the Spirit of God is praying for you. Even when you can't fight, when you can't walk, the Spirit is unfazed. He keeps on praying praying. When you have no words, the Spirit just takes those groans and, and He makes them His own and He intercedes before the Father constantly for you. Like whether you can feel it or not, the Spirit is doing that for you. You can be comforted that God's presence is with you. Once you become a Christian, you cannot lose the Holy Spirit. He will be interceding for you. He prays for you. This Roman says that Christ intercedes for you, constantly bringing your prayers, bringing your condition before the Father. So the third application, finally, it's to remain in community. Because the Spirit reminds us that we are relational beings. We were created for fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we were created for fellowship with one another. I've so often experienced that when I can't feel the presence of God, I can feel the presence of God through others. Like if I can't feel God's love directly, I experience the love of God through my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we we hold one another up. We hold one another together. When we can't feel anything spiritually, we can tend to still feel things relationally. And so keep walking together, keep praying together, keep asking for prayer Even when you feel like other people are are sick of it, or you don't know if they can pray for you one more time, keep going to them. And if you're on the other side, keep praying for them. The Psalms are not just a private devotional book. They are community prayers. It's a community songbook. All of these Psalms are written in the context of community. If we try to understand unanswered prayer alone, if we try to respond to it by ourselves, we will not get very far. We'll be overwhelmed with hopelessness. But together, as a people, as brothers and sisters, we have this sort of secret weapon of Christianity that is the community. And so remember the Lord. Keep walking even in the dark. The Spirit is with you. Remain in community. Know that one day the darkness will lift. Your wounds will be healed, your body will be restored, your relationships perfected. In the new creation, there is no night, there is no darkness. There's not even a sun because the glory of God gives light to everything forever and ever. Until then, we keep praying, keep walking, keep on, and we're in it together. Let's pray.